Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on January 27th, 2024. And before we get started here, uh, Brian, you wanted to talk about something that uh, Drew Taylor and I uh, talked about on the most recent fine-tuning, the, uh, what is it, the Lucasfilm film, or, or Lucasfilm animation film from uh, 2015 Strange Magic, right? Yeah, the ten the tenth anniversary, I actually saw that in the movie theater, and one of the reasons I did want to see it was because it was done by ILM, who did an amazing job with Rango, and there weren't that many jukebox films at the time. I mean, after this one, then the Trolls came out, and then there was a you know Romeo. No, I think Romeo Nomeo was before it, but I went to see it. And for the most part, it's ninety percent to me. It's it's got everything in it. The the performances between um, Evan Rachel Wood and uh, what's his name, the mm-hmm. play Bog. Oh 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 oh. Um, well, yep. they were perfect, and their voices are great, and her voice is amazing. And during the song, strange Alan, um, Alan Cummings. And during the song Strange Magic, I got emotional because it was so well done. And it's like one of those films that I could see what Disney saw. They they saw it. They didn't know what to do with it. So they did the same thing they did with uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. They threw it at Touchstone. And then they said, just let's put it out there. And I'm, I'm hoping it's going to get a lot of views and a lot of... Um, eyeballs being on Disney plus because it really, the the animation of course is excellent. There are some things in the end. It's it's ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time with the jukebox. It was ahead of its time with some of the animation. Um, And it just, one of those things that give it a chance, you know, give it a show. It's, it's a little intense for kids under what? 12 maybe. But um, Evan Rachel Wood is just, She's amazing, and her voice is just better than any Disney princess they've been putting out there for the last couple years. Well, what's been interesting since that episode of Fine Tuning dropped is a number of folks who actually worked on the film have reached out, and they they talked about this interesting thing that happens when an animated feature, once upon a time, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and, and Roy E. Disney, uh, had a disagreement about you know the, the ideal length it took to to, to churn out uh, an animated feature and to Jeffrey's way of thinking it was what was it <laughs> three years and three months that that's the you know the ideal amount of time you needed where Roy E uh, he was like oh no 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 you need it's three years and nine months you need that extra six months, you know, the, to usually fix story problems and get some distance on it. And think about it. By the time that Gary Rydstrom came over the hill to work on Strange Magic, uh, this thing had been cooking for 10 years. You know, so three times the, the you know, what the ideal production uh, okay. time would be. And it just, they, a number of the folks who worked in the film flat out said, look, it had been in the oven for too long, you know, and, and, you know, we weren't, we weren't second guessing ourselves at that point. We were third and fourth guessing that, you know, that, that, you know, the problem was that the story had worked very early on, but as it moved as slowly as it did through, uh, you know, the production pipeline at, at Lucasfilm animation, people began to second guess scenes that worked or song choices that worked. And, and it was just sort of like things that were fine, things that were locked, uh, you know, got revisited and changed. And and Gary, uh, to his credit, went back and looked at everything and, and tried to bring a lot of the early film back. 
but again, it's one of these notions of we spent all this money making this movie and you're you're telling us to throw out that and put in this. Did it have a distribute? They were making this before they were bought by Disney, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Did they did they have a distributor? Was 20th Century Fox going to distribute it? I think there was sort of a handshake there. And remember, uh, 20th Century Fox only had Blue Sky. Right. Don't get me wrong. They they did have Fox Animation. That was winding down. Yes. So the, this could have had a home there. But again, you know, the Disney acquisition uh, sort of tripped that up. But... Anyway, speaking of Lucas-related animation, uh, we're recording this on January 27th, uh, with three and a half weeks out from the season three premiere of Star Wars The Bad Batch uh, over on Disney+. And a trailer dropped earlier this week. Uh, So what do you think, Brian? Well, if you look at it, I think he is basically setting us up for his movie. And by he you mean Mr. Filoni. Filoni, yeah, because he's he brought well, really he brought back um Aja Ventress. There we go. Yes. You know, she's got a, a cute punk look and stuff, but you know, I y- you can't tell by the preview whether she's evil or not, whether she's still dark side. I mean, I get the feeling that, you know, they threw her in there for a reason. Mhm. I think he's setting her up to be in his, if if not Ahsoka 2, then the movie. I could be wrong, but I just think that we're going to see at the end of this, some Bad Batch are going to die. Some, this is, this is just my conjecture. I mean, it's just, it seems that that's the way Filoni's works and that some are going to be on that island. And um, I, I'm curious where Omega is going to be. And if she's going to be part of his world later on, I think she should be, because I think she's been one of the strongest new characters we've seen in in the universe. You're not wrong. Now, where this gets interesting is um, final season of this animated series uh, returns to Disney Plus on Wednesday, February 21st. Now, what's interesting is three episodes are going to drop on that day, confined Pads Unknown, and Shadow of Tantis. And interesting thing about the title of the third episode, uh, that refers to Mount Tantis, uh, which is located right. at Planet of Wayland, which is where the secret, the secret Imperial base where Omega is currently being held is located. So, And isn't Deadshot there too? Well... Uh, well, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're referring to Crosshair. Uh, Crosshairs. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Isn't he there too? Cause you got the idea that they went on the, the same shuttle. Yeah. Yeah. I guess where this gets interesting and it, again, trailer suggests the bad badger determined to do whatever they have to uh, have to, to breach the secret facility and rescue Omega. Uh, but the trailer makes very clear that the, the, you know, the Imperials know that the Bad Batch is going to attempt this rescue and it's already laying a trap for them. So I think that the Asajj Ventress thing that you mentioned, they're going to need help from, okay. They're going to have to do something that the Imperials aren't expecting them to do. And I was also interested to see Cad Bane in there as well. And now uh, just to, to lay something out here. End of season two, there was a very strong inference that Tech was gone. He was dead. I mean, we saw him fall from a great height. uh, And, you know, they made a big deal about showing his goggles to Omega there at the the facility. But, you know, Mr. Filoni is such a classic constructionist. and, And I can't help but think, you know, how many other characters have we seen fall from great heights that came back. I mean, I, I wasn't the first one Sherlock Holmes at, at Reichenbach yeah, Falls. Yeah, Reichenbach Falls. Have, yeah. have you ever seen Reichenbach Falls? Uh, I have not. I have oh, not. Oh, it is the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. And it was so funny because I was on a tour of yeah, young people. Well, maybe um, 18-year-olds. I was 24. And I was actually going, this is where Sherlock Holmes died and Moretti died. And they're just looking at me like, who are you? Oh, there we go. I mean, I, I for me, I, I, I feel like Tech's coming back, and I, I also feel like... Yeah, I, I think he is, too. I mean, I, I, I think also, you know, you got Ventress, and maybe Tech, 
and you know somebody's got to save them, right? Yeah, and and I I think also you know in this sort of given the way Filoni works, I can't help but think that Crosshairs has already been set up for redemption. Yes. So uh, just going to be interesting to, to to see how this this plays out, and you know, <laughs> it's also worth noting here that another character. That that fell from a day, great height, Mace uh, Windu. I mean Samuel L. Jackson. Oh yeah. You know he keeps talking about. Look, we never saw a body. <laughs> you know it's like you know I think he's okay. I think he's coming back, and and it, that's worth noting because just this past week, the Mace Windu comic number one, uh, Marvel Comics is is a, a brand new limited series, just four issues. Hit the stands and. It's the story of Mace Windu, and, you know, it's sort of like, okay, you know, we we testing the waters there as well? Anyway, uh, we have further news on this week's show, and uh, as always, news portion of, of uh, Looking at Lucasum is brought to you by TouringPlans.com. Uh, Touring Plans can save you time and money at theme parks like the uh, Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, so if you're you're headed on down to Florida anytime soon. Please check them out at TouringPlans.com. Okay, so back to the news now, Brian. Uh, Daisy Ridley has been in the news a lot lately. Uh, the actress who played Rey in the Disney-produced Star Wars trilogy has been out doing publicity for her next movie, uh, Sometimes I Think About Dying, which is set in the corporate world. Anyway, while she was out doing the rounds promoting that film, she, of course, got asked about her next Star Wars project, A New Jedi Order. And what's interesting is Ms. Ridley said, you know, talked about, you know, she knows the story that this film is going to tell, uh, but hasn't seen a finished version of the script yet. But she is very excited to be working with Charmaine Obaday Shinoi. Uh, she's the, that's the filmmaker who's been hired to direct a uh, new Jedi order. Also kind of interesting. De- Daisy was very quick to push back on the idea that there are toxic star Wars fans out there. And that when interviewed, she said, my take on, on that is that these things get blown out of proportion. All of my interactions that I've ever had with Star Wars fans have been nothing but wonderful and supportive. I've, I've only ever been embraced. Yeah, but then there's the Rose story. Well, all right, that you're not wrong there. And that got that got really you know weird. But you know you have to also realize that when she when she said those things, she wasn't talking about fanboys. She was talking about people that were basically abusing and and hurting women. And she made a documentary about that. And then she went and she directed Ms. Marvel, which is one of the most incredibly entertaining and uplifting things that everybody gets together. And I think it's, it's, you should look at that rather than go back, you know, because you can spin anything to, to tell anything you want to tell. But in reality, all these people want to do are is to make great Star Wars films for everybody in the audience. Well, well, toward that end, uh, when Ridley was on the Today Show on NBC again, uh, part of the promotional tour for Sometimes I Think About Dying, she was just talking about how she's looking forward to working with Obadiah Chenault. You know, the thing that says, "I think we're going to make a great film." Uh, but <laughs> let's also not overlook. The obvious here that uh, the other thing that that Daisy is obviously looking forward to is her payday for coming back to play Ray. She's reportedly getting twelve million dollars to reprise this role. So more power to her. Also, want to stress here: we don't have a, an official start date yet. We don't also don't know where this film falls in relation to Dave Filoni's. Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Grogu, which we talked about on late last week's show. Uh, that one, did they have a script? And they are going to start shooting this year sometime. Uh, still don't have uh, a date on that. Well, have we heard about Ahsoka 2? Is that being done before this? Uh, sadly, I was waiting on a phone call, I, which I did not get prior to us recording. But if I have that news, we'll share it on the next Looking at Lucas film. Now, speaking of other things that... You know, we should get fairly shortly. This week's episode 
of Disney Dish. Len Testa shared a survey that a listener sent in that they had received about that uh, that person's interest in a continuation of the Indiana Jones franchise. And now this is interesting because, again, remember, Dial of Destiny formed poorly at the box office this past summer. Now, on the other hand, when it showed up on Disney Plus on December 1st, uh, Indiana Jones 5, uh, it's a different story. Uh, just in the first three days, I want to say it was 533,000 uh, households tuned in to watch uh, that James Mangold movie. And it remained, evidently, uh, viewership remained consistently high throughout the, the holiday period and well into to January. So now was this survey asked at the parks? Um it was an it was an after action, as in it, it had been indicated that you'd gone to the park and I, I wanna say this individual had uh, you know uh, signaled that they had gone to Lucasfilm related stuff in the parks, whether that was Star Tours or the Indiana Jones adventure, that sort of thing. But that was sort of like, oh, you have an interest. Hang on, we have some questions to ask you. Now, do they do they have they done that before? Ask about movies and franchise rather than just um, uh, attractions at the parks. It always keys off of you know. I mean, Disney is is a, a data collection monster, and in oh, right, right. and in this particular instance. It was like, okay, so this is somebody who went to, you know, these Lucas IPs during their visit to Florida. You know, let's ask them about their interest in, in you know, you know, perhaps, you know, being able to revisit at this home. And speaking of which, the question seemed to be leaning into that Abner Ravenwood project mm. that got talked up uh, back in November of 2022. And for, for those of you who don't remember... Abner Ravenwood is Marion's dad. All right. So, and the notion was uh, he was also uh, Indy's mentor uh, when it comes to archaeology. So, uh, again, this would be a prequel series that they're talking about. But evidently, you know, nothing's going to happen until uh, the folks at Disney get to see sales figures. For Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. Uh, I don't know if you saw the trailer that dropped for the single-player action-adventure game. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, Devin knows doesn't know what he's going to get for his next birthday, mm -hmm. but um, he's going to play it. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to and I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yeah. Now this is this is developed by Machine Games uh, for the Xbox Series X and the Series S. Uh, not to mention Microsoft Windows, and will then be published by Bethesda Softworks. What I found fascinating about this trailer is it does, it makes very clear, coming out in 2024, no release date, though. Oh, okay. What did you think of the trailer? When you see these things, first of all, you don't, unless you know where the story's going to, it's just, it's not coherent. But then I, I know, like, De Devin um, played and watched... Um, uh, what's that the thing? Um, Uncharted, and which is a pretty good, and I think the standard of what you should have these kind of film action videos made. So I'm curious to see what they're gonna do with. It sounded like you know the voice actors were were good, but you know it's it's just one of those things that sometimes it's a hit and miss. And unless you have people interested in Indiana Jones. It could it could be a miss because there's still a lot of kids that didn't grow up with it, and they, their introduction to it was um, Dial of Destiny, and and that's not really a, a kid friendly as Raiders of the Lost Ark was. And I just wondered, do you know anything about the numbers of how young Indiana Jones is doing on Disney Plus? Because I think if the if that's doing well, then that's why they're gonna that that's basically can fall into why they're doing the the Abner film. Well, all right. Now, where this gets interesting is that, um, I was just checking here, Temple of Doom is set in 1935. Raiders is set in 1936. Last Crusade is set in 1938. And the Great Circle makes a point of stating 
that it's set in 1937. So it literally slots oh, okay. between Raiders and Last That's Crusade. Right. So we're we're still in Nazis, you know, collecting artifacts around the globe, you know, uh, because of Hitler's obsession, uh, you know, with the supernatural. So I can't help but think, especially with the Avner Ravenwood thing, and and right. to tie it back into the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, I just I wonder, are they going to even pretend? to try to click this in with that because i mean face it you know young indy was uh you know george's sort of a, a experimentation with edutainment you know i mean yeah. was, you know you 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 had the indie stuff but he was always meeting uh gandhi people in um history and they did an amazing amazing job with it i mean um nicholas rogue directed the the and i know i brought this up before the Mata Harry one. And I'm getting chills just thinking about it because that was like his first love. And knowing the, the Mata Harry story, it does it ends in tragedy. When he's at the the talks at Versailles and the Vietnam contingency comes up and they, they ask the French if they could, you know, be part of their government. And you saw how communist Vietnam started. The, these films, I mean, Frank Darabont wrote some of these things. These things were uh, beyond what people thought they should have been. I mean, was it entertaining? Yeah. But they did have to tell the story, and sometimes, you know, that could be a little dry. But the Irish um, troubles, and oh, man, he, he hid everything. This is where the sort of circle back to strange magic. George had wonderful ideas and brought in really talented people to try to execute them. But every so often there would be something like Red Tails, for whatever reason, did not connect. And, and the Radioland murders. I would argue that Radioland murders, you know, I mean, I remember after the success of the initial Star Wars movie, I mean, again, you were working in, you know, uh, at movie theaters around the same time and, you know, how the trays would come in and they were talking about the very next thing that Lucas wanted to do, which was the Radio Land murders. And in, in, in the end, when George finally made that movie, in a weird sort of way, it was a crucial part of uh, the success of the prequels because so much of the production technique, this, the digital set extensions and that sort of thing, George did the heavy lift on Radio Land murders. But Radio Land murders was also ahead of its time. Because if you look at it, Radioland Murders begat um, a Knives Out, which begat all these other great things that have been um, been put up there. And of course, it all started with The Last of Sheila. So let's don't go far away from that. But he did. He, he was ahead of its time. Whatever was going on in George's life would color what he was working right. on. I mean, he was, he was a dad at that point. Uh, he wanted his kids to learn about history in an entertaining way. And, you know, that's what colored, you know, how the, they approached the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Conversely, if we look at the Temple of Doom, you know, that was a film. And it has Doom in the title. So. There we go. All right. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a film that was produced at a time when both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were going through rather painful divorces. What's interesting, just in the past week or so, the Lawrence Kasdan did an interview about how he was offered the opportunity, I mean, on the heels of, of writing the screenplay for Raiders. It's like, hey, here's the story that George and I have put together for, for Temple of Doom, and what do you think? And, you know, Kasdan looked at it, and it's like, kidnapping of, you know, children forced labor, you know, human <laughs> sacrifice, beating hearts, ripped out of chests, you know, and it was just one of these things where it's like, this is dark. This is, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to, you know, and it was so mean-spirited, you know, just sort of like, and he, he flat out said, I thought it was horrible, and it's so, and I think it really reflected the turmoil that was going on in Stephen and George's personal lives at the time, and and Kazdan turned the job down. And kind of an ironic thing is uh, he married the lead in Steven, that yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, Stephen yeah. did. Yeah. Stephen did, yeah. And, and, and they, they've had a long and happy marriage. But, yeah. 
Uh, and speaking of, of, of dark, uh, another thing that, that bubbled up on social media this week, um, have you ever seen uh, Steven Soddenberg's, I, I want to say this was, he did this back in 2014 just for a bunch of his friends, but basically what he did is he took Raiders and had it converted into 1940s style black and white, and he had the lush George Williams, uh, excuse me, John Williams uh, score stripped off of the thing and everyone who's seen it you know it's it's a revelation you know it just it is now the b movie uh that it it was supposed to pay tribute to being you know it just it 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 looks period it feels period and and the weird part of it is there's a number of folks who feel that this version actually plays better than the original now can you find this on youtube I, I, I've been looking, you know. Okay. So and if I have it, I will share it. Now, we just brought up John Williams. 91 this 91 year. 91 years old. And uh, it seems to be his retirement um, was premature. Yeah. Well, that, that, uh, what Brian is referring to is last year, what with Dial of Destiny and the Fablements, Mr. Williams announced that, yeah, I, I, I'm heading into retirement. I mean, I... I worked on, you know, something that George put, you know, set in motion. I worked on something that Stephen set in motion. And these are the two people I've worked with, you know, the bulk of my career. And might be time to hang it up. And um, <laughs> then George, uh, to me, John, John, why do I keep saying John? I, I, John got his 54th Oscar nomination just this past week for the score for Dial of Destiny. And when asked, you know, well, are, are, does this mean, you know, uh, what does this mean? He said, ah. he says, here's the quote. <laughs> if a film came along that I was greatly interested in, with a schedule I could cope with, uh, then I wouldn't want to rule anything out. Uh, everything is possible. All is before us. Uh, only our limitations are holding us back. And, uh, to put it more simply, I, I like to keep an open mind. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I guess he's unretired. Well, I know that he does the Hollywood Bowl every year, and it is it's wonderful to see him. Actually, he does the second half. David Newman will go in there and he'll do um, the best of, and he'll he'll do a little a little lecture on each film and each person who wrote it, of course, his father and, you know, Lionel Newman and, and then all the, the other Russians and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. And then George comes out and all the lightsabers turn on. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's one of the most amazing thing when you see 9,000 lightsabers in this outdoor theater and where it all takes place to Hollywood. I mean, and, and it really is cool because then he'll sneak in some, Great themes like the 1941 March, which is basically one of the best things ever he's ever written, including the the Cowboys, mm -hmm. which oh yeah, which okay. which Copeland's it up. I mean, it's it really it's one of the the better you know tributes to what these Western things was Elmer Bernstein, you know, and all this and and everything he's done. He, I mean. Yeah, people say he steals, but you know it's a tribute. Well, I and I would argue, you know, again, you know, if you you look at the you know Spielberg's catalog, if you look at the Lucas films, you know, the the, the music is so much of it, and Williams is such a big part of that. Though, if we could take a moment here to to talk about Tom Holkenborg, uh, a Dutch composer. Now, mind you, he's worked with Hans Zimmer. And, uh, you know, you know his work if you've seen, for example, Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman. Right, Dawn his work was, was Zack Snyder. There we go. Yeah. There we go. And the reason we bring that up is, of course, just last month, December of 2023, we got Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, which is a, a fascinating project because, um, well, this is... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. This is what Zack Snyder brought to Lucasfilm, the idea of he wanted to make a Star Wars movie, right? Yeah, it was a time that um, I guess 
Lucasfilm was looking to bring in other writers and directors. So he went to them with this. And his whole idea was, I am going to start where George started off, which David's doing too. David Filoni's doing too. Okay. Uh, hang on. Okay. Hang on. <laughs> you know, the, the, he, the, the, what, what Brian is starting <laughs> is the feature piece for this oh, week's I'm show. Sorry. And I just, I'm trying at the bit here. Okay, so, so we're going to pause here for a moment. And when we come back, you know, Brian's going to leap in with both feet to talk about Rebel Moon. But first, this. And we're back. Before we get to talking about Rebel Moon, I don't need to tell you folks, if you're listening to this podcast, you pay attention to what's going on in pop culture, so you know uh, that Steamboat Willie has slipped into the public domain, <laughs> which means that the that version of of Mickey Mouse uh, is now up for grabs. And, and we, you know, I want to say there's no less than two horror films uh, headed our way that feature Steamboat Willie. And if they're as good as the Winnie the Pooh one, we're going to be really blessed. <laughs> now, what's kind of interesting is that uh, people should not assume that because this happened, uh, the Walt Disney Company had stopped being the Walt Disney Company. Uh, no, they still protect their intellectual property as fiercely as they ever have. In fact, just in the past month, there's a car wash in Chile that advertises itself as Star Wash. And <laughs> it's Star Wars themed. And Disney's attorneys fell on that like wolves uh, and, you know, insisted that they change the theming, they change the name, you know, all of that. So uh, to pivot now to uh, Rebel Moon, uh, and, and again, this is Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, and there's a part two coming in April, right? Scargiver? Scargiver, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, well, let's start with the obvious question here, Brian. I, again, Zack Snyder walked this in the door to Lucasfilm at one point and, you know, identified it as a Star Wars inspired, uh, you know, or more to the point, once upon a time, but was going to be really for real Star Wars. And right. they eh, were going to go a different way. So Snyder made this anyway, and I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Why didn't a, a Disney legal go after them for this? Well, uh, everything that's been tied to Star Wars is basically what Zack Snyder has said. And but if you look at the movie, there's really it's instead of being in, in space, it's not. It doesn't follow anything Star Wars has ever followed. It follows more of where George started his whole idea with the Hidden Fortress, which was in a Kurikurosawa film with Toshiro Mufuni, and he went back to the granddaddy of all time, the Seven Samurai. Now, if you're not familiar with the Seven Samurai, you're familiar with the Magnificent Seven, you're familiar with uh, Bugs Life. And there's just a movie that came out that's very similar to this. But what he did was, and, and that's what this film is about. It's basically about a planet who keep to themselves, but then this evil empire wants to use them to basically produce food for them. And that's right out of Seven Samurai and The Bug's Life. So then they they go off and they look for people who can help them defend themselves. And there have been talk of this film being fractured. Now, the reason I think they've decided to say it's fractured is because rumor was that an hour has been cut out of it and Netflix will maybe bring it back later, but they just wanted a two-and-a-half-hour film. They didn't want a three-and-a-half-hour film or a four-hour film. So it's basically the hero goes out there and looks for people that can help them and you introduce each character and you see what their superpower is. And there are some great set pieces, including one with a spider woman, which is just r remarkable. And, and, and then there's one like goes back to the Western part of it, uh, of uh, seven samurai of magnificent seven. And they break down a, a Pegasus instead of a horse. And it's just, 
It's a it's it's a really entertaining. But what it's missing, which all the Star Wars films have, is humor. When you watch the humor, the Star Wars film, there's C three PO, there's R two D two, there's Han Solo, there's even Luke. They they're funny. They they bring humor to it. They bring you know. But this is this is kind of grim. But it, that's not saying it's bad, um, because something's coming up. That um, they have a robot in it that's played by Anthony Hopkins, and I think Jimmy's the name, and it looks like that is going to be in the second movie, and the second movie is going to be the we got to defend ourselves. But they put a neat little twist in in this film to give us the bad guy, and um, or to reestablish the bad guy. And it's it's a it's pretty brilliant what they do, and it it raises the stakes. And I enjoyed it. Um, like like I said, though, I I wish there were a few more laughs in it. But it's it's what Zach likes to do. I mean, if you've seen all his films, except for maybe the the Las Vegas zombie one, which had a lot of humor in it, he just he what he grabs you by the ears, and he just he makes you watch. It's like a clockwork orange thing he just makes you watch what he wants you to watch and you either watch it or you don't but i think it did pretty well on netflix um i don't think the the critics got it or they were set out to go after him because of his um his little thing on justice league i mean some of the these critics they use their pens as weapons and i i don't enjoy it that's why I like hearing regular people talk about the film. And even though they don't know how to write about a movie, they still have some good points. Well, I mean, it's so interesting that you you bring that up because, I mean, just in the past week, we lost Tom Shales, uh, the, the longtime television critic. In fact, I, I think we lost him to uh, COVID. And, and I want to say on our last uh, episode of looking uh, at Lucasfilm, we talked about the wonderful, uh, I want to say it's Matt Singer's book about uh, Ebert and Siskel. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, back in the day, uh, critics were constructive. I mean, uh, they were truthful, but, you know, I, I just think we live in uh, such a rude, crude age that, you know, people make film criticism, you know, about them. And, you know, and and rather than the movie, I read review and it's like, okay, I I understand you had a bad day and you had trouble driving to the theater. The movie? Can you tell (laughs) me about the movie? Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing. I I, get it. When you look at a 9% Rotten Tomatoes, that's excessive. Nobody gets up in the morning and and says, I'm going to make a movie that that gets a, you know, a 9% freshness rating. Over Rotten Tomatoes. That's people piling on. I got to ask you about reviews. Um, When you read a review, Mm -hmm. do you want to know what the film is about? Or do you want to know what the tone of or what the genre is or where it's going? Rather than scene by scene, which some critics will do. And it's just, to me, not only does it spoil it, but then you look for, when you're watching the movie... In the back of your head goes, oh yeah, that's right. They pointed that out to me. I mean, I like reviews, and you don't get many of them that basically just talk about how the critic felt about the movie rather than what the story was. Okay, let me be completely blunt here. Um, okay, I don't read reviews anymore. I, I, okay. I, 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 there isn't a critic out there. You know, again, I'm I'm 65 years old. I grew up reading Pauline Kale and like I said, uh, uh, you know, yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, wonderful reviewers who took their job seriously, who, you know, uh, who who honored filmmakers or something, you know, and could talk about it from a professional constructionist point of view. And again, it's just, it's gotten so mean spirited and, and so unprofessional. Now, speaking though, that said, I'm not proud of this, but I frequent a site called the movie spoiler and, Mm. and, and literally the job of the movie spoiler is to tell you the plot of every film that has, you know, is out in theaters at that point. So I, I pride myself on being conversational about movies that perhaps I haven't seen. Okay. 
But, uh, you know, I'm typically upfront about that. I will say I haven't seen that, but I read the, the, you know, the outline over at Movie Spoiler. And that's the thing. I have seen a lot of Mr. Snyder's work and he's, he's really good at action scenes, which is why <laughs> I will be circling around to Rebel Moon. I think yeah. I'm probably one of these people who will be waiting till scar giver drops on april 19th to sort of see the whole oh, that's not a bad idea yeah uh see the whole saga play out and again uh it <laughs> what you you kind of inferred to about the the hour that may be out there yet again so i i guess knowing <laughs> how the Snyderverse works that what in in two maybe three years we'll get the, the right. fully cut-together version of this movie with all of the... The Alexander Berlin Plots um, version of... There we go. <laughs> you know, pack a lunch and a pillow and a blanket. <laughs> but at, at the same time, I really appreciate that's what you talked about Snyder was trying to do here, to return to the source material. I mean, you know, let's be honest. A lot of the stuff that Lucasfilm has done lately whether it's Rebel Moon or Andor or, you know, that sort of thing, has in fact leaned into that. Has, you know, it's like the notion of where we came from. In fact, I would argue, people aren't going to be happy to hear this, but that's what I think weakened the Disney-produced Star Wars trilogy. That I'm thinking about it, like, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, just, it was one of these things where, I think, you know, especially with The Rise of Skywalker, that one just, it just seemed to me, it's like, what do they want? You know, what are they looking for? You know, what, you know it's like, okay, Palpatine's back. And, and horses that, they ride on horses down the side of a, a spaceship. Yeah. And, and, and we bring back Lando. And, and Lando can bring every starship in the, the universe to, 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 to fight the... The, the, you know, the Imperial fleet that's been hiding under ice. And it's just sort of like, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, well, it seems that their their inspiration for those movies, whereas George was and, and it were the, the Japanese films, were the Star Wars films itself. Because it looks like because there was a lot of um, uh, homage and and fan service to in in. Each of these films, sometimes it was the ball was dropped, and sometimes they ran with it. I don't know. With Rise of Skywalker, I just there was a sense of a snake eating its own tail. It was too much fan service. Yep, because people were com- yelling and complaining about the second one. They had to go back to well, we got to give them what they want, and that's not the way to do it. You will give people what they want when they see it. <laughs> Then they'll go, oh, that's what I wanted. Yeah, that, that a little bit back to Rebel Moon. Yeah, it follows the Magnificent Seven. Ama- when you see it, and then you see Magnificent Seven. I mean, not Magnificent Seven, um, Seven Samurai. You see the tone, the you know what what the the characters. You see that there. And if you're gonna go back to, I mean, has anybody except for the Clint Eastwood movies? Has anybody did a um, Sanjiro or um, the other one, have they ever done a, a a remake of that? I mean, that would be a great Star Wars film if you would have somebody come into another part of the galaxy and, you know, where there are fighting fractions <laughs> and turn them against each other. Because Yojibu and Sanjiro are two of the most amazing films that nobody has really ever seen. I guess, but again, you also have to acknowledge the fact that, again, the Walt Disney Company paid four billion, uh, fifty million for you know the, yeah. the rights to Lucasfilm, and it's just sort of like the notion is we want a return on that investment. We want you know uh, the you know we want to make movies that people want to go to, and and. And again, we're in this weird moment right now where it's almost painful to watch what's going on in distribution. In fact, for example, this weekend, this very weekend, there is no new film being released to theaters. You know, in fact, the trades were talking about the fact that first time in decades that, you know, the the, the story is about 
you know, okay, so you have two films, uh, The Mean Girls Musical and The Beekeeper, and it's going to be interesting to see which one of these comes out on top because, you know, they've both been out in theaters for a while at this point. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the industry is making its way back and you have, and this is the, the reason why to, to sort of bring this show full circle. This is why you have a Disney actually doing survey work about, you know, this Abner Ravenwood project to the effect of before we put money down, you know, are you people actually going to, is this going to make a difference, you know, to, for, in regard to your subscription to, to Disney plus that, you know, uh, or, or, or is this going to be Willow, the series revisited? And I, I say that with no disrespect to the cast ends. I thought I found that show entertaining. But again, it was filled with fan service. You've made your $4 billion back. You've made your $4 billion back in merchandise. Okay, now make Lucasfilm what it was, something innovative. Make some changes. Bring some more movies in. Bring the new characters in. You can't let Indiana Jones go away. And if you have to do another actor, what's the big deal? James Bond has done it. And every James Bond has been pretty damn good. Even Lazenby. So, I don't know. I just think that it's so much, well, if we give the people what they want, they will come. No. If you build it, they will come. That's an interesting little bend you put on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. It, it's like, I, I guess what's frustrating a lot of uh, Star Wars and Lucasfilm fans is, is like, uh, for example, the Patty Jenkins project yeah the, that's uh, i and have we ever heard what happened i think patty has taken the approach that she has uh it, it's kind of the james gunn situation um you know you don't necessarily say something bad because this idea could come back you know that that you, you're graceful in the fact that oh the, the studio decided not to go forward with this at this time and, you know, I enjoyed working with them and developing it, and perhaps we'll revisit this at some point. So face it, that that was something very personal to her, given her dad's career. Right. The Rogue Squadron idea, I think, is something that she hopes someday uh, will get revisited. And, you know, I, I, I would be fascinated to hear uh, with Dave Filoni, you know, now is the, 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 the quote-unquote right chief creative officer at Lucasfilm, it's like, what is he reviewing? What is he looking back on? You know, that, that, you know, what, what projects that they almost did is Dave now sort of, you know, digging through and taking a look at, cause that's, that's what you do when you're the new guy in town. Yeah. Well, I, I, it just, it just seems strange. It, it just seems like they were already, they were, they were doing the casting and stuff. And then all of a sudden it went away. So to me, somebody got scared. Somebody said, well, this isn't really the Star Wars film they're looking for. And again, how do you know? Because nobody thought they needed a Rogue One. And then out of Rogue One came one of the best things ever on television. You know, so I don't think, you know, I think people are just running scared and just like, take a breath. Take your time. Well, all right. And just one final note here about Star Wars Rogue One. When the news came down that it had been tabled, uh, that was December of last year. And and think about it. Disney had experienced a management change. We changed out our bobs. You know, we went back to the old bob. You know, out of an abundance of caution, Iger put that on hold and, and was attempting to sort of right the ship. So, uh... Again, just going to be kind of fascinating to watch further on down the line what happens there, especially now that Mr. Filoni is, is kind of calling the shots. And remember, I, that was the other story we did not talk about earlier in today's show, is that oh, just over the last week to 10 days, there were all sorts of stories out there about how new Jedi Order had been put on hold that, you know, uh, because Mandalorian and Grogu uh, suddenly took the, the, the front spot. It's like, oh, does this mean a new Jedi order is on hold? And, 
And it was fascinating to have Daisy Ridley out there, you know, doing the publicity for uh, Sometimes I Think About Dying and being quite upfront. No, we're still working on this. We're still going forward. It's a fascinating story. Can't wait to get started. So long story short, folks, lots of stuff in flux. But the upside is that gives Mr. Gone and I a lot of stuff to talk about <laughs> on future episodes. And speaking of which, that's going to do it for this week's show. Brian and I will be back in two weeks time. Uh, in the meantime, Brian, where can folks find you on social media? Well, the best thing is um, Instagram. It's btgon, G-A-U-G-H-A-N. Also, since now everybody's on um, Patreon. Okay, um, I think that if you guys want to talk to us, if you guys want to ask questions, if you just want to give us a you know a heads up, um, there's a great comment section on um, each uh episodes in in the the jim hill you know the the whole the whole thing that is an excellent point okay so you know it's it's just that's where you can you you always be able to catch us because you know i don't know if people been trying to to you know give us messages sometimes i get them sometimes i don't so this would be the best thing to do is um to do that and um, and also, I just want to say, I listened to the Universal, the Epic Universals or whatever. It it is amazing. It is so great. I love the format, and I I I'm glad that you have some yeah, another. I, I I'm glad I have another thing to drive to you. By. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Uh, uh, Brian is very very kind here. We we just relaunched. The Universal Podcast, uh, he's talking about the epic Universal Podcast that I do with Eric Hersey, who uh, handles a lot of back-of-the-house stuff. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's nice to get back in the saddle over there. But where can we find you, Jim? Uh, let's see. Uh, you can find me on the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, also over on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Likewise on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, and as uh, Brian uh, just mentioned, yeah, over at Patreon, where uh, we launched uh, Disney Unpacked back in October. That is Len and Mai's first ever video series. Uh, we're producing that in collaboration with Jim Shul, uh, who spent 30 plus years working at Walt Disney Imagineering. And uh, next episode in that series drops on... Sunday, February 4th, uh, we're going to be talking about the creation of the original Mickey's Toontown in uh, California. I was there a day it opened. Really? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. You probably passed Mr. Shul standing there watching the world go by. And he takes great pride in the fact that when you walk in Mickey's front door, that's basically his mother-in-law's house in uh, Wichita. Oh, wow. So anyway, um, okay. We also have a, a bunch of other shows we do here. Uh, you know, Again, we just mentioned uh, the Epic Universal podcast, but we also have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have fine-tuning, which I do it through Taylor. I'll tell you what, if you folks could do Brian and I a favor, if you get on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend uh, looking at Lucasfilm, uh, that would be a great help. And let's see, I think that's going to do it for now. But again, we'll be back in two weeks' time. We'll be that much closer to the start of bad batch and and again we'll find out what's going on with tech but <laughs> till then thanks for listening and we will be back soon